disappointment. Ever hope for something that never came true? Or things didn't go the way you expected? You reach into the cupboard for the peanut butter jar only to find out that it's empty. You go through the drive through at McDonald's and the voice says, I'm sorry, sir. I know it's a hot summer day, but our ice cream machine is broken. <laughs> Disappointment. We all have them from time to time. It's that feeling of sadness that happens when our hopes or expectations aren't met. Well, today we'll be looking at the story of Moses in Exodus 5 through 7. So I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to that now. You'll see one actually, um, a Bible in the uh, chair in front of you. You can turn to page 50 and follow along with us today. It's a story of disappointment. Today we'll see how Moses handles it and how God responds. After meeting with God, Moses and Aaron met with the elders of Israel. And we, we pick up that in chapter 4, verse 31. It says, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshiped. The nation of Israel was all in on this. They were all together. They were all united. And Moses and Aaron must have been pumped. They had the signs that Lord gave them. They had the staff. Man, they were ready. They thought probably to themselves, this is going to be easy. They went in to meet the king and said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And what was Pharaoh's response? Who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let him go. Who is the Lord? These four words are packed with meaning. What follows here is really the, two, the story of two men who are asking the same question. One with a stubborn, hard heart, and the other with a humble heart, a heart towards God. Was Pharaoh honestly looking for information here? Uh-uh. <laughs> Hardly. Pharaoh, who considered himself divine, was arrogant, and he spoke these words with contempt. What he meant was, why should I listen to him? What right has he to command me to free Israel? What makes you think that I would even care about this God? uh Yahweh. Now, God had predicted this. And Moses and Aaron had received their first refusal here, and there would be many more along the way. But to Pharaoh, this was all nonsense, trivial, this God of the Hebrews. Who gives this Lord the right to tell me what to do? Now, you know, my friends, this has been the main problem with humanity ever since Adam and Eve. It echoes right down. Of all the issues that face our society, our culture today, it can be traced back to the same question. Who is the Lord that we should obey him? Now, Pharaoh thought that he was speaking to Moses and Aaron, but he didn't know that this question 
echoed back right into the halls of heaven. And what we see here is ultimately that God is going to answer him about who he is. Ultimately, this conflict wasn't really even about Moses and Pharaoh. It was about God showing Pharaoh who was more powerful, who was more superior to the so-called gods of Egypt. It was a direct answer of the Lord's power over them. So Pharaoh continues, he says, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. To Pharaoh, the idea, even idea of a three-day retreat of a whole nation out into the wilderness meant that, that these people had way too much time on their hands. And when you think about it, Pharaoh might have also thought, there is no way I'm going to let that millions of people gather in a unified way out in the wilderness. You can imagine politically what that might do. No, Pharaoh saw Israel as lazy. So he issued orders that these slave drivers, that all Hebrews must gather their own straw for making bricks. And they must uh, meet their quota every day the same. Now, straw served a dual purpose back then for making bricks. Number one, it was a binder. It was used to help the clay hold together. And the straw also, when it decomposed, it released uh, humic acid, which uh, strengthened the, the hardened brick even more. So the people of Israel, it says, dispersed throughout all of the land of trying to find enough stubble to make enough bricks to meet their quota. Well, you can imagine, they didn't meet their quota. And so the foremen, which were, which were Israelites, were called in and they were beaten by their slave drivers. And these foremen then went to Pharaoh and they said, why are you treating us in this way? But Pharaoh replied, actually, it's repeated twice this, this word, slackers, slackers. That is what you are saying. Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given you, but you must you work the same quantity of bricks every day. You ever come out of a meeting like that? You know, you didn't meet your projections, Profits are down, expenses are up, the shareholders are mad. You know, whatever it might be, it's not a good feeling. The Israeli foremen were in big trouble with Pharaoh, and they knew it. But, but think, if you were one of them, you'd be thinking, I didn't deserve this. This wasn't my doing. This is Moses and Aaron's deal. It's all their fault if anybody had a victim mentality, it was the Israeli foreman. <laughs> now, Moses and Aaron were outside uh, waiting for these foremen to come out of the meeting. They didn't know the outcome yet. And they were eager to find out, you know, hey, how'd it go? You know, tell me everything. Well, the foreman said this. He said, may the Lord take note of you and judge they said to them, because you have made us reek. Other versions say stink. You know, you can, you can insert whatever word there, but made us reek to Pharaoh. You have put a sword in his hand to kill us. 
Instead of getting pats on the back, Moses and Aaron received curses from their own people. And they even accused Moses and Aaron saying, you have given Pharaoh now an excuse to kill us. Moses must have been dumbfounded. You know, he must have been speechless at this point. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. Pharaoh had rejected him. Now his own people rejected him. His approval rating had plummeted. And Moses was a good candidate for a clinical depression. Nothing is going right. Everything is going wrong. It's hopeless. I can't do anything good. I'll never amount to anything good. My life is a waste. One day, adulation, and the next day, rejection. You know, we see this throughout Scripture, actually. Repeated, there was another liberator who came in one day, and the people shouting, Hosanna, and the other day, the people shouting, crucify him. What do you do? when God's promises aren't simply coming to pass? What do you do when everyone seems to be against you? What do you do when you're following God like, like you know to be true and still bad things happen? How do you handle that? Well, Moses went straight to God and he asked, who are you, Lord? Two, uh, with a, but with a humble heart this time, he cried out to God and he said, uh, in verse 22, he said, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in his name, he's caused trouble for this people and you haven't rescued your people at all. We find that elsewhere in scripture too, don't we? These laments. The Psalms are full of them. David said this in Psalm 10, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? He goes on to say in Psalm 42, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You see, like David, Moses laments, literally says this. It says, why this? Why this have you sent me? And the word this is repeated. It's, it, in other words, why this? This have you sent me? Is this, this what I signed up for? Is this, this your idea? I didn't want the job to begin with. I told you that I wasn't a fit for the job, but, but you said you'd be with me and things would work out anyway. Well, Lord, things aren't working out very well down here like you said they would be. Not only has Pharaoh rejected me, but all of the people now have rejected me as well. Well, here's the catch. You and I, we know the rest of the story, don't we? Up to this time, how many uh, plagues had God performed? None. <laughs> None. Uh, we know that in the end, God wins, but the problem is that Moses couldn't see that. All he saw was this. 
But here's the Lord's response to Moses. The Lord says in verse uh, two of chapter six, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. God reminds Moses, this isn't your battle. This, it's my battle. This is where I belong. This is my responsibility. And then he says this, he says, in verses two and three, he says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by, that, by the name, the Lord Jehovah. Here we see the Lord saying, I am Yahweh, this covenant-making God. Now, now, that name was used earlier, but this time God says, I am going to manifest the character of my name as a covenant-making God to you like you've never seen before. Who is this God? This covenant-making God. And then the Lord goes on to say this. He says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out of, uh, from forced labor of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord and each one of those I wills were handholds that the Lord was giving Moses to pull himself out of his discouragement and depression. That's who he is. Was Moses mentioned in any of these promises? Nope. <laughs> Not one. This wasn't about him. Were there any conditions? on these promises? Absolutely not. It was all unconditional. Who is this God? He is God who always keeps his promises. Even out of the mouth of a pagan prophet, Balaam, we, we read this. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Does he speak and not act or a promise and not fulfill? And the Lord wants you to know that as well today. You can count on him. You can count on his promises. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. Now Moses has a second chance. Is he going to respond? How is he going to do that? You know, in light of all that God just re-promised Moses, just when this story kind of reaches a climax, out of nowhere comes a genealogy. <laughs> it just seems so out of place, I got to admit. It's, it's like a commercial break. It's almost, <laughs> stay tuned, we'll be back in a moment. And he, he rattles off a genealogy. 
Well, in ancient Near East writing, this was common, uh, to pause a story uh, to bring in a related thought. And at this time, Israel was doubting Moses' leadership. They, they probably uh, doubted his credentials. Who is he? Wasn't he living in Midian for 40 years? And who is this brother, Aaron, anyway? Uh, shouldn't we check them out? Where were they born? Shouldn't we confirm their citizenship before we make them president? Uh, well, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but you know what I mean. It's the same idea, though, really. Well, this genealogy specifically answers that question, giving us the credentials, the pedigree, if you will, of Moses and Aaron. Now, family lineage was a big deal back then. From this family history, though, they had every credential to qualify them to lead and to intercede on behalf of the nation. God had prepared Moses and Aaron long before they were born, long before their ministry began in Egypt. Their arrival in Jacob's family was a part of God's grand plan of his providential working in that nation. Reuben, the firstborn, and then Simeon, and then Levi, and then we see all the other descendants uh, Levi, uh, I mean, um, Levi, who is the ancestor of Moses and Aaron. Elsewhere we read in Jeremiah this, when God raises up a prophet, he does this. He says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you as a prophet before the nations. You know that's true for every single one here and are watching online. Do you know that every single one of your days were numbered before you were ever born, before you were ever made? You see, God's appointment of Moses and Aaron came long ago. And this genealogy could have been omitted, really, and it wouldn't really have affected the story. But Aaron was about to become God's spokesperson, and later he was to become the first high priest uh, for Israel. Well, now back to the story. We pick up where we left off in chapter 6, verse 30. And just like in a break, it goes right into the story again. Moses complains again, saying, look, I'm not a powerful speaker. The Israelites won't listen to me. Why should the king of Egypt like before, Moses was just counting on his own resources rather than counting on God's. In other words, Moses thought he needed the backing of the people before he went to Pharaoh. Well, how much of an approval rating does a Pharaoh need? I mean, is it 40%? Is it 50%? Is it 60%? How much of an approval rating do you need to get legislation passed by Pharaoh? I don't know. But you know what? God doesn't work like that. He doesn't work like that. One plus God equals a majority. And Moses would learn that in the coming days. See, so God commanded Moses again to go to Pharaoh. This time, take Aaron with you. He's going to be your spokesperson to demand to let Israel go. We read this, however, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he did not listen to them. 
as the Lord had said, that's in uh, verse 13 of chapter 7. This is the first of six references we find where Pharaoh's heart was hard. It's neutral. It doesn't say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart here. It doesn't say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But you know, there are 10 references which list that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And there are three other references which list that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. One thing we know is that the Bible teaches that God has gifted every single human being with the ability, the capacity to choose. People can choose to submit uh, to the Lord or rebel against God's goodness. And consistent rebellion can lead to a hardened heart. It's been said that the same sun that melts butter also hardens clay. The same sun that melts butter also hardens clay. Each time God placed a demand on Pharaoh, the heat of God's convicting power caused him to become even more stubborn and more hard. Pharaoh felt God's pressure and he pushed back. Thus, it was both God's demands and Pharaoh's own pride-motivated stubbornness that caused the hardness of his heart. And that's true even today. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is working right now in the lives of people, right now in your life, to expose the sin in your life, to expose your need for a Savior? He also is revealing his righteousness, that, that God is righteous and we are not, and we need help. He's also making it more and more clear to mankind that they are accountable to him. One day, everyone will kneel and confess that Jesus is Lord because that's who he is. Question is, have you taken him as your savior? Will you allow God's spirit to melt and to mold your heart? Or are you pushing back? Are you becoming hard? Proverbs says, one who becomes stiff-necked after many reprimands will be shattered instantly beyond recovery. You know, the Spirit of God will not strive with man forever. There will be a time when, when God will turn a, a hardened heart over to their own stubbornness. But as you yield to God's spirit, working in you, amazing things happen. His spirit will fill your life. It will warm your heart. His presence will flood your soul. You'll receive comfort in times of grief. He'll lead you into all truth. He will come alongside you in prayer and fill and empower you. And the same spirit that gave life to Jesus will also give you life. Next we see in chapter uh, seven, verse five, this, he says, the Lord makes a startling statement. He says, the Egyptians will know 
that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. Did you get that? The Egyptians will know. The purpose of the plague was to evangelize Egypt, to show them that the gods that they worshiped were not really gods at all, and that the Lord is the one true God. Did you know that during the Exodus that set a multitude went with them? God is not out to destroy the Egyptian people. His plans and his ways are aimed at the salvation and the blessing of all nations. Look at Isaiah chapter 19 with me. This is a wonderful uh, prophecy yet, which has not come to be, involving the sworn enemies of Israel. For the Lord will make himself known to Egypt. And Egypt will know the Lord on that day. They will offer sacrifices and offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and fulfill them. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Then they will turn to the Lord. He will be receptive to their prayers and heal them. On that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will go to Egypt Egypt to Assyria, and Egypt will worship with Assyria. On that day, Israel will form a triple alliance with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing within the land. The Lord of armies, who is that? It's Jesus will bless them saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance are Blessed. Isn't that wonderful? Who is this God? He is the God of all the nations. What the promise was of Abraham, do you remember? That all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh again. This time, even though the people were complaining, so Moses was learning along the way. Pharaoh said, eh, perform a miracle. Let's see something. Let's, let's, see, let's see a trick, you know. And they obliged uh, with Aaron throwing down his rod, and it became a snake. Now, why should this be the first sign? Now, snakes represented Egyptian power. They represented Pharaoh's power in particular. Pharaoh's headdress, famous from the popular images that we see on King Tut's coffin, looks like a cobra. For Aaron's staff to turn into a snake is nothing less than a direct challenge to Pharaoh's power. His magicians, of course, they, they counter the attack by duplicating the feet. We don't know how, it doesn't say, but their snakes were swallowed up in the process. Now, all I can say is I am so glad there's three less snakes on this earth. <laughs> Don't like them. I love golden retrievers. I hate snakes. Got bit by one when I was a kid, and I've hated them ever since. But in this sense, the swallowing of the snakes is a striking illustration to everyone of Pharaoh's power and who God is. Well, what can we learn today from this 
passage. What can we learn when we encounter disappointment? The first is this, go to God first. Go to God first. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He has the answers. Better yet, he is the answer. Number two, rely on his resources. Rely on his promises. Trust him. Even when you don't see anything good happening, Scripture is filled with the great and precious promises of God written just for you. The I wills of God are true today as they were when they were written. Come all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your soul. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able, but will, with the temptation, make a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with weagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. These are written for us today to bring us to him. Number three. Submit to God's spirit. Ask yourself, do I have a hard heart? Is there an area of my life that is stubborn and hard? Hebrews says this, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Come to him. If he is exposing an area of your life, deal with it. For our God is good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy to all who call upon him. Number four, continue anyway. Remember that delay is not necessarily denial. The fact that it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it's not gonna happen. Moses looked at his situation, you remember? And none of this that God had promised this was happening, but it eventually did. Obey him regardless of what you see happening around you. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So if you're tired, if you're weary, Continue anyway. If you don't feel like it, continue anyway. The devil tells you it's useless, continue anyway. If you're disappointed with the results, continue 
Anyway, if you're assaulted on the right and the left like Moses, continue anyway. If nobody appreciates what you're doing, continue anyway. If, you're, if there are disappointments along the way, the rest of your life, continue anyway. And finally, come to know who the Lord is. Come to know the Lord. Jesus says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Perhaps here, there's somebody here who is saying, who is the Lord? And, and they're saying it honestly, they want to know. Today, you can know him in a deeper and more full way than in the days of Moses. In earlier days, God spoke through his prophets, but today he is spoken by son, by the son of God. Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the father. So get to know Jesus. Start reading the Bible, attend classes here like the 4G Jesus, that's about the story of Jesus, or, or the 2-7 series, which, which will help you grow in your Christian faith. Who is the Lord? He is the Alpha and Omega. All things were created by him and for him. He's before all things. And by him, all things consist. Who is the Lord? He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the way and the truth and the life. And he is the good shepherd. Who is the Lord? He is the great I am. He always has been and always will be. He is faithful even though we're faithless because he can't deny himself. Who is the Lord? He is our rock, our redeemer. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is our shelter in the time of storm. He is our friend and he's our master. He is our savior. He's closer than a brother. He is God. And he needs no other. Who is this Lord? Mercy lasts a thousand generations. He is good and ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy to everyone. He is holy and just and loving and righteous and mighty in power. Who is this Lord? He is our peace, our provider, our banner, our healer, and life giver. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as <clears throat> praying that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would warm our hearts to yourself. I think of a song, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me. Mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall 
afresh on me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.